I don't believe in free speech. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I don't believe in free speech. I can't stand what they teach. I can't stand what they preach. I don't believe in free speech. <laughs> I'm now working as uh, like this, like sensitivity readers. They're hiring. Right. I'm a sensitivity reader now, too. So we're both sensitivity readers. I didn't readers. even know. I thought it was just like a weird thing. I didn't know <laughs> it was this global it's you know, this thing was now. happening in the publishing world. This is where world. like every, every textbook is now reviewed by a sensitivity reader to make sure that like like – the, the like the trans bully in the room isn't going to like get them fired or like have their publishing company destroyed. You know, this is like literally this is like you and I are both sensitivity readers. I'm like financing my like this would be like my <laughs> like podcast and whatever. I'm like, this is my rebellion to try to destroy the system. But it's like financed by the, the, the system. You know, it's like I'm taking like all my like Nazi gold that I that I amassed by being part of the problem and then using it to free Jews. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's so funny because uh, I just finished a review of three textbook chapters, and the textbook is a sociology of intimate relationships type of book. And then I was supposed to look at three chapters with these things in mind. I didn't realize it was called a sensitivity reader because I'm not normally a book editor, right? I just got right. contacted by the editor of the textbook and asked to do it. And it was like, you know, um, a little bit of money per chapter. So I was like, okay. Well, they said specifically around gender and sexuality issues to be sensitive to. And I mean, I wrote like a novel uh, after just one chapter because the chapter ironically was about what is the difference between sex and gender? I mean, one of the learning goals at the start of the chapter stated explicitly that this chapter will teach you, the student reader, the difference between sex and gender. And then the authors of the chapter proceeded to completely conflate and mix up sex and gender and use them in the wrong ways throughout the whole chapter. So they would say things like, you have a gender identity as a woman, um, but you knew that deep down you were really a male. I'm like, no, that's that would not be the right use of male-female, which would refer to biological sex, which they'd already said. And so everything is so confounded, but that's that's just mirrors how everyone is talking now. Nobody really uses any of these terms properly, even if they want to be progressive, even if there is a sort of woke way to use those terms. No one uses them that way. They're, everyone is just completely convoluted. And so nobody gets this right anyway, even people who are trying to teach about it. And so I don't know if there's a way around it. I had a student complain yesterday about how uh, my, my textbook I was using was insensitive to LGBT students. And the whole thing is about trying to be sensitive and inclusive, um, but because the there was a question on a self-assessment that asked whether um, you believed in things like gay rights and abortion and disabled people having sex, the, all these questions were designed to tell you whether you were conservative or liberal when it came to s expressions of sexuality. It was just like a self-assessment, like the way, you know, Glamour Magazine has those little self-quizzes. And because it asked you to say what what you thought about homosexuality and other issues like that 
the student took it as insulting because it was as though I was giving permission through this self-assessment for people to be conservative. Right. Like, well, technically, there are people who are conservative. I, I can't. I'm not permitting them to be conservative or liberal, but, but there's just so much sensitivity around all this. I don't know how to get around it. Acknowledging that anything is going on at all is, is, is like an ism. The problem is that you're trying to account for every, as a sensitivity reader, you're trying to account for every single, I mean, they would say that you're, no, no, you're just trying to, you're just trying to like be a decent human being. We're just trying to not be offensive, horrible human beings. But no, you're trying to, you're trying to account for every possible individual subjective sense of offense that could possibly be registered by, by a group that matters, you know, and the groups that don't matter, of course, nobody cares, but the groups that do matter, like just every, like I, I, I did a, uh, a medical textbook and it was, it's so weird. It's like, you have to use, like, basically if gender is relevant, then like if you're, if it's a medical textbook where you're describing the difference between like biological males and biological females, then you should use like male and female instead of men and women. And there's all these other things beyond gender, like, you know, people, we don't have homeless people anymore. We have people experiencing homelessness. Like that sounds like a joke, but that's really a change that you have to make as a sensitivity reader, you know, because the yeah. idea it's, it's person first language, right? There aren't, there's no such thing as a disabled person anymore. There's, there's people with disabilities. And, and it's right. like such a great example of like a rhetorical brain fuck, you know, because like I have a friend, he has no arms and he has, he's missing both arms, one leg and half, and he has a foot where his other knee should be. So of all of his four limbs, he has a half a leg with a foot where a knee would normally be, missing the other leg, missing both arms. And he doesn't give a shit about any of this stuff. He never would. He, this guy literally had to teach himself he was he was like uh, like one of his in his memoir that i edited for him he talked about how you know it's like a proud big moment where he learned to dress himself in order to go to college at 18 you know and this guy couldn't i mean this guy if, if you ask like he he's the first to say it is a dis i remember talking about this and saying like you know you've managed to do so much i mean he drives you know <laughs> he drives he drives a van like with his with like his knee and his shoulder and stuff, you know, it's electric. And, you know, he drives, he's a professor, he does everything like a normal person would do. And he's always surprising you. Like one time, this is not a joke, it sounds like, but I was talking about horseshoes. And he's like, and then I, and I'm like, assuming I'm like, yeah, I guess you've never, and he's like, oh, I've actually played horseshoes. I'm like, what are you talking about? You play horseshoes? <laughs> 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 you know, so he's amazing. But like, I remember saying to him, it's like, saying something like, you know, it's almost like it's like you don't have a disability because he's done so much without it. I'm saying it's not even really a disability. And he was and he immediately said, like, no, it is a disability. Like everything he does is hard, you know, just to get up in the morning and do anything is hard. And, um, you know, he he he's the he would be the first. It's not this dirty word to him. And it's almost like this person first language is such an example of 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 like people that aren't disabled making themselves feel good about what good people they are by changing the language that the people who actually are disabled don't care about. These changes that we're making, there are changes that make sense, the kind of changes that have come up naturally over time, like, you know, that make sense because they sound offensive or because they have a history of being offensive, you know? Like nobody says Oriental anymore except like your grandpa, right? Like an old person would say, 
would say Oriental, and everybody's like, ah, don't, you can't say that anymore. Say Asian, you know. Um, and there's obviously other words nobody uses anymore because they have such a bad history. But then we're at a, then at a certain point, there's other people, people rushing in and just making stuff up that no one would ever care about. And it only takes on significance because we make it have significance almost, you know? Yeah. Well, so in the textbooks, are you having to make sure when health issues are talked about that you can't say things like, if you're a man, you need screening for testicular cancer. You would have to say something like, if you are a person with testicles, you need screening for testicular cancer. So we can never talk about men. We can't assume men are biological males with biologically male reproductive organs. And we can't assume women are biological females, even though, you know, for most of human history, the vast majority of times your gender identity aligned with your biological reproductive role yeah. or your sex. But now we're teasing these apart and everybody gets it all confused. And we're the ones being so precise as sensitivity readers, making sure the wording is right, which is funny because we've had so many conversations where we feel like people are making such a big deal of this to satisfy a very tiny sliver of the population. So, <laughs> you know, uh, the typical cis woman who has a baby can't just say, I'm a mom, I'm a woman, women have childcare issues. You can't say that anymore because there is the occasional person who has a baby who identifies as a man. Right. So, exactly. And, and so because of that one person... Um, no one else is allowed to say, of course, that's, and that's like the, you know, conservative, I'm doing quotation fingers that you can't see, you know, <laughs> conservative critic of this stuff would say like, okay, so this one person has a problem with this. So the other thousand people that don't have to, are, are supposed to be afraid and be quiet, which is kind of crazy. Eleanor had this thing, um, the other day she was just, I'm trying to remember one of her classes, I think it may be her biology class, I think. But anyway, it was it used the phrase, this is not a joke. It literally used the phrase prostate owners and non-prostate owners. Instead of just males <laughs> In a textbook. Or right. Instead of just males and females. Like, like, like this one was even afraid to say, like the, uh, the rules on the sensitivity reading that I do is they have a specific guideline where if it, in a case like that, you could say males and females. But, that, but, yeah. not, but don't say men and women because there are people with prostates who there are women with prostates and men with vaginas, which of course means right. that there are there are men who who don't identify as men. Well, males, there are males who right. don't identify exactly, as men. and that's the part that so many people have such a fucking problem with, which is why like this Dave Chappelle thing that we're going to talk about is just like where people are just freaking out because he's just saying all he's saying is just acknowledging like the fact that things have gotten kind of crazy. And coming back to that in a second, like, that's the part where you say, like, a man who says, you know, I, you know, I want to be a woman. So call me Christine. Think of me as a woman. I can go, cool, fine, no problem. But don't say, but you know, I, I am a woman, right? Yesterday, your name was Bob, and you were having sex with women. Um, and now your name is Christine, and you're a lesbian. But, you know, that's the part where it gets 1984-ish. That's where it gets like, you know, we're at war with, with these guys. We've always been at war with these guys. And there's the one guy going, weren't we at war with the other guys yesterday? And they go, nope. That's the part, right? <laughs> That's the part where it gets, where, I th where it feels so invasive to people. 
Well, it's this need for a consistent narrative of your identity. So you, I don't think everyone needs that, but it seems like there is this substantial chunk of the population who, whatever their identity is, they need to feel like it's been that since they were born and, and it's stable. And for some reason, it's hard for people to embrace a kind of fluidity of identity, even though to me, that's what trans teaches all of us that maybe we're all trans in some sense. We all change. We we age. We engage in medical technologies, whether it's a cis woman who gets breast implants and a facelift or a cis man who gets calf implants and pectoral implants to look more macho or, or someone who's a born a biological male who gets breast implants because they're a trans woman in some ways we're all changing our bodies and 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 our our bodies do change and over time and, and through technological intervention or you know if you're a man who takes viagra you're maybe that's trans in a way because you're 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 deciding you want to live in a way that is that somehow requires technical assistance <laughs> or <Right. laughs> some kind of intervention. And, but we all do that in, in certain ways, right? Yeah. At least very few people don't do it. So in, in a way, the very thing that could make a lot of people identify with and accept uh, the idea of being trans because they could identify with it on a kind of continuum of possible possibilities for themselves. Um, in going back to that sort of uh, narrative where you were this stable identity all along, that's itself almost anti-trans. That's the part that for me is so weird and ironic. I think this, like, you know, if you trace the trans thing back, like I people say that like the world changed and like, you know, somewhere around like, you know, 2015 or something like that everything just kind of went bananas at that point there was like a like a flashpoint somewhere in there for me it was like i became aware of these issues at the very beginning of like 2016 particularly my first react uh experience with it was a non-binary thing everyone i talked to about this was basically exactly like what the fuck are you doing what this that's the stupidest thing i've ever heard of and, and within like three years Everything had changed, and all of those people had forgotten that they ever felt that way. All of them, because of that that well-meaning white liberal guilt that is that like uh, you know that just that just such that just trying so hard to just go well. The thing about this and this and this, I didn't understand. And you start seeing people who are otherwise so smart and so like really smart, thoughtful, self-aware people that are suddenly becoming fanatics and fundamentalists because they're just well-meaning. But also something has happened. And I th- that's the question, I think. Big question, right? It's like, like the Dave Chappelle special just came out, right? Like, why is this such a big fucking deal? Because it's my opinion. In my opinion, I just, I'll just start in on that. Like Dave Chappelle's, his thing, the closer, right? Um, just came out. Everybody's freaking out about it. Of course, predictably, it's like he's, it's just, of course, being just nailed from all sides. It's just like, this guy is such a misogynistic, transphobic asshole, right? Um, I watch it and I thought, what a pussy. He didn't say anything. He completely pussed out and basically spent an entire, he devoted his entire hour long special 
to groveling and apologizing to a bunch of teenage fucking bullies. That's what he did. He spent the entire thing just groveling and trying to justify himself by telling stories about how, I know trans people. It sounded like what white people do when they want to go, I'm not racist. Look, I have this black friend here. That's what Dave Chappelle did, right? Where he's like, he he tells you this, this touching story about his trans friend. But he spent, he just seems like he's doing something heroic because he's one of the only people that's willing to do anything. He's willing to say something. He's willing to, to like, file the slightest complaint and everybody else is like on their knees like bowed down with their head down afraid to look up terrified of being just basically of like the the, the thought police coming and getting them in the middle of the night or something Dave Chappelle basically didn't say anything in that special did he I mean what did he say if you if you push yeah. people on this what did he actually say that was transphobic or misogynistic, and of course, it isn't. The point isn't what he said. The point is that he has a, that he has any problem at all with trans people, and that means that he's literally that's like the same as holding a gun to a, the trans community's head, you know, because it's that overstatement of harm. Well, he did, but he also did something where I mean, one he. He was accused several years ago of making transphobic and anti-trans jokes. Right. And and he claimed that he didn't really do that. And I didn't see that original San Francisco um, stand-up act that apparently got him in hot water. But it obviously bothered him. It bothered him so much so that he built an entire, um, you know, comedy sketch. What was it? An hour long um, to defend himself. Right. And, and he, yeah, and he used some classic techniques for defending himself. Like, I actually have one really good trans friend, and that person right. can vouch for me. Um, and he also um, sort of said that his big critique of the trans community was that they're when they when they act with so much entitlement that everyone should, um, you know, uh, use the use the terms and everything that they think are important. And when they, you know, followed him and yelled at him and blasted him on social media, did all these things, they were really acting like privileged white people. So he used the intersectionality of identities to say that, while they act like they're marginalized trans people. They're, they're actually acting like privileged white people. And so they're actually punching down to me as a black person. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I felt like Dave Chappelle constantly traded on his class privilege. I mean, he's a wealthy influential star. And so when, you know, it's not clear when, if a white trans person is attacking him on social media or wherever, are they punching down like as a white person to a black person or are they punching up as like a regular person to a really rich, influential person? And he made multiple jokes that showed his own class privilege, like how if he were ever lowered to shop in Walmart with his family um, when he was going into the, a joke about the bathroom bill in North Carolina, if he were ever forced to lead a lifestyle where he had to go to Walmart in the first place with all the poor white trash and then had to use a bathroom in Walmart, what would happen if, you know, someone who's trans is in the bathroom with him? And he, you know, and he talks about the the restaurants where he lives in Ohio, how they're really not, they're really not very good. They're just the good ones if 
you haven't been anywhere outside of Ohio. Right. You don't know any better. So he's constantly talking about his own and referencing his own class privilege in a way that I don't think was conscientiously reflexive. And so it just I just felt like there were cheap shots based on a kind of misunderstanding of intersectionality and you know, you don't get to decide right now I'm actually talking as a black person and not a rich person. Or right now I'm right. talking as a, a white person and not a trans person or as a trans person but not a white person. The the whole point is that those identities intersect and, and everyone's I- identity has multiple sort of statuses connected. And so, you know, you wouldn't know. You wake someone up in the middle of the night. Or, are you white or are you trans? Well, right. They're both. Or are you black or are you rich, Dave Chappelle? Well, he's both. Um, so you can't separate those easily. So I, I felt like it wasn't a very, it was disappointing to me in that way. And I'm a longtime fan of Dave Chappelle. But um, yeah, but it, it clearly bothered him. But I also feel like one of the mistakes people make, and it feels weird to say it's a mistake, but looking back, it seems like it's always a mistake to apologize when people attack you because they never accept the apology, no yeah. matter what it is. If someone made a remark that was insensitive about gender or trans issues or race or disabilities, I feel like most of the time, if the person sort of tries to cop to it and and apologize for their insensitivity they um the the original group that was mad ends up finding something wrong with the apology absolutely and they just so, get more mad like the fact that you're, you're apologizing is like admitting your guilt basically right it's it just seems like yeah it doesn't i i feel like if if a student were to complain about me somehow uh, since i'm a professor i feel like i would I we tempted to apologize because I'm a nice, sensitive person. And yet I feel like after following years of these scenarios, it's almost like it, it's not going to help you. It's not it's not going to help you. So uh, and I hate to say that because you would think it would be nice to apologize and show you're trying to be sensitive to someone. But well, the uh, Chronicle just published that thing. um like last week, this week, about that uh, the Ann Arbor professor. Um, yeah, who, the music professor. Yeah, yeah, and he's like the classic example of what you should not do. I mean, I think he's just, but it's what everybody does now. I mean, he's just, and again, he's not, I don't think he's, he's probably not apologizing like as some bullshit political move. He really believes this. And this is more and more what very smart, well-meaning, otherwise self-aware people, there's so much pressure. you got the whole world telling you that you're wrong and you think, and then you make this horrible apology like, you know, I was uneducated and I did not understand and my students are helping. And it's just embarrassing. It's like 60, there are, it's just eroding my confidence in humanity to the core where I just want to shoot myself because it's like, you have, you have like a six, you know, this guy, I don't know how old this guy is, but he's an adult and a professor and accomplished, you know, you know, accomplished person who is bending over backwards, making these apologies. Like, you know, I still have much to learn from my 17 year old students who are bullying me out of a job. I thank them for this <laughs> opportunity to learn. Yeah. It's like, what the, this is what is happening when I cannot stand it. You have these like 65 year old literature professor 
who is like a scholar in his field who's been thinking about this shit for 50 years and he's basically has to now go, you know, I know it was wrong for me to assume that I would know something about literature that my 18-year-old freshman spoiled brat student from Nova, you know, didn't already know. Like I was so wrong to like mansplain something to her. Like that that's where we're at now. Where it's like the problem is not that like that like spoiled 18-year-olds are trying to get away with this shit. The point the, the, the problem is that the whole world is supporting them now and that people like the professors and the and of course the universities don't back them up. The professors basically have to apologize and nobody will stand up. And so when somebody like Dave Chappelle makes the slightest resistance, people are he seems like a hero. People are like, he's brilliant. He's a genius. What a hero. And then everybody else says, like, you know, they sh- he should be killed, basically. Um, and and th- it's being overstated on both sides. Like this music professor, he made a, an apology and they're like, that's not good enough. So he made like a second apology and then he had to apologize for like for the apology. There's like a meta yeah, apology that he has end. to do. <laughs> and it never ends. Because at one yeah. point, like who's going to stand up and go, no. Fuck you guys. I'm not apologizing because I didn't do anything. Fire me if you want to. People have got to start doing that and making that stand, you know? Well, we've we started to we started to conflate the discrimination against people that we're for very good reasons not supposed to engage in with all of these microaggressions and concerns about the overall climate in our classrooms or in our uh, in our comedy performance or wherever. And I, I feel like why why are we doing that? I mean, is it because these the the real in, the real forms of discrimination are not happening as often? Why not celebrate that? But instead, we're focused on sort of these microaggressions or other things that it's just really interesting because I I've been to these workshops. There's been a million of them, and I listen and I I find that it's so strange that they don't talk about the things that would actually be illegal things that really do constitute discrimination against someone based on a protected status like sex or race or religion and instead we talk we talk about these uh kind of small things again microaggressions that people don't like to have happen i'm like well what is why are we focused so much on that you should come up here to burlington yeah to burlington where it's like this is like i mean this is vermont and it's burlington and it's like i mean you basically couldn't find a more liberal like (laughs) you couldn't find a more liberal progressive granola-y everybody's on the right side of the fence kind of thing the right side being the left side of course and and yet there's this fanatic fundamentalism around here of like people are constantly like attacking the school of like we will no longer tolerate the racist the racist homophobia of the university of vermont i'm like what uh, what like <laughs> like probably this, the least racist least homophobic work environment and it uh, exactly that and people it, might encounter it doesn't matter because think back to like elementary school what happens when you give a bully your lunch money. Do they come back the next day and go, you know, that was cool that you gave me your lunch. I'm going to leave you alone now. We're cool. No. They just come back and they, <laughs> they demand twice as much money the next day. You know, that's what bullies do. If you give in to them, they just give more. They want more and more and more. And that's what is happening is like these, what was basically a bunch of like, like basically bully teenage girls on Tumblr 10 years ago. It is now the whole world basically because we now have like, I mean, that, that's the question. Just to back up for a second, what? Why is this trans issue 
I mean, this is a bigger question, but like, why is this such a big deal? Do we really believe, are we really so naive that we believe that there are so many trans people in the world that that's why it matters? No. First of all, like, there aren't that many trans people. Like, it is not, it's not, like, not to use the word, like, normal, but like, the, sorry, everyone, but the normative experience, there's a reason it's called heteronormative, cis-normative, right? Because that is the majority of people, just statistically, bam. And you can argue that that's only because we're all chumps. And of course, that is the argument. That's exactly what they think, right? Which is that a guy like me, who's like a cis, straight, white male, oh no, I gave it away. Maybe they listening to the podcast, they wouldn't have known that. <laughs> <laughs> but like no that's the whole argument of course like i'm a i'm a chump and like eleanor is a chump my fiance you know like like we're uh, we're chumps because we're just we just accepted how we were put down on the earth like i'm just the, i'm just the classic chump i'm i'm cis because i never questioned that i'm straight because i'm not like brave enough to go have sex with guys you know or whatever but like the normative thing is is that right like it's a such it's a small 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 percentage of people who are transgender even if you include what's going on now which is like all of the people who are transgender not transgender you know and that's and i'm sorry that's such an offensive thing to say but it's the truth come on like is it possibly social contagion of course it's social contagion that's like going back to 1967 and the hate ashbury and going do you think, like, if Joe and Didion went to the Haight-Ashbury to do Slouching Towards Bethlehem and she was like, excuse me, do you think that the hippie movement has anything to do with peer pressure and social contagion? Or do you think this is just, like, a completely natural event that happened to happen by coincidence? Like, what we would never have had Slouching Towards Bethlehem if she'd been such a fucking idiot as that to ask a question like that. Like, of course it's social contagion. Of course that's what's going on. Because being trans is just the new way to be to be to mean something right all these people who are like I, I mean the normal sort of the normal sort of like teen angst of like gee, you know i'm pissed off this is a bullshit deal god this life sucks what do i do i feel so oppressed and then they go here you go first of all why are so many people suddenly deciding they're trans sorry i'm just gonna put it like that because you know that's another issue it's like i've always no i've always been trans no you haven't you weren't yesterday you've been created that we're manufacturing transhood right so why? Okay, but we manufacture gender identity too, which right. is the other side of the argument, right? Like we, and once we deconstructed the construction of gender and realized that, oh, you're not born a woman or a man, you're a made one, right? The famous Simone de Beauvoir quote from the 1950s, one is not born a woman, one is made a woman. So you learn what it means to be a gender. So right. if we figure that out, then you could decide to, that you don't have to be the taken for granted one, but I get your point. It's a, then let's admit that that's not some inborn thing so much as it's a socially achieved, socially negotiated identity. We've always admitted that. Like I remember, you know, 20 years ago talking about this and talking about how like you shouldn't give your, you know, you're, if you have if you have two kids, a boy and a girl, and you give the girl an easy bake oven and you give the boy a bunch of GI Joes, like that's problematic. You're obviously constructing a gender identity based on traditional gender roles that are not necessarily good. But that's not the same as jumping to the other side and saying there's absolutely no biological difference between men and women because we know biologically that's not true. But there is a denial of science now by scientists, even 
to basically it's you're no longer allowed to acknowledge like if you acknowledge that there's biological differences that just sounds like it's like it just sounds like like phrenology now or whatever that was you know but right back in the day oh, yeah. when they were like you know oh we can see from the uh, negroid musculature there's a heavy predisposition to crime you know and, and like the skull shape or something that kind of crap right um where like that's not what i'm saying or the bell curve thing right the um that that infamous uh study right uh bell yeah. curve right you're not allowed to acknowledge biological differences at all anymore Well, or at least we're supposed to, again, sort of disconnect them from the identity that somebody wants to hold. And, of course, my my issue then is then people need to say, okay, well, then don't don't say it's some biological identity. Say this is your social identity or how you want to express yourself. And I'm fine with however someone wants to express themselves as long as it doesn't hurt someone else like you know i'm not like i'm not fine with a pedophile or a rapist's form of self-expression because it violates the privacy of someone else but um if if someone is is trans for whatever reason and they express themselves that way i I don't care but but i and i also think we have to think about whether or not there being a statistical minority matters i mean uh, i was a vegetarian for 13 years and most people weren't and I, I am, it's not the same. I'm not trying to compare, like if it's being a vegetarian is like being trans, but you're, <laughs> you're not just, you hold on, just bear with me. But if, but you know, I understand like what it's like when you go to a restaurant and there's like no vegetarian yeah. items on the menu, it right. sucks. And, and I get that feeling of invisibility or going to a dinner party and, you know, nobody really understands that. Um, I can't eat most of those things um, or wasn't going to or didn't want to or whatever. Um, And so, but I feel like the, but I didn't go around and demand that all menu items be changed. I didn't go around and suggest, so I, I draw the line there where, you know, I think it's important to be humble and Go okay. Well, I recognize that most pe- was in a meat eating culture, and 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 most people in my family and most people um, in my culture were going to eat meat. So if I was a guest at a wedding and there's a dinner banquet, I didn't expect there to be the kinds of foods that are my favorite. Um, and so I didn't I didn't expect that recognition. I understood it was great when I when there was some really great meal um, that I thought was really good, but I, it wasn't that, that wasn't something I expected. So it matters that someone's a statistical minority, but at the same time, it's, it's still, it doesn't mean people shouldn't recognize that there are people in that minority. Right. So I mean, you said, yeah. And it's a matter of, you said, as long as it doesn't, you know, as long as it doesn't affect my privacy, but this very much, this very much does affect, it is a privacy issue. These politics do very much affect and violate people on a personal, on a personal level. I mean, they're, you know, they're just, just, they, they're, they're requiring a control over our thoughts and our personal exchanges and emails. I mean, if you walk around my neighborhood in Burlington, before living in Burlington, I lived in Abingdon, right? 
Abingdon, Virginia, where you walk around and it's pretty much so much in the South that you walk around and there's going to be like, there's fundamentalists everywhere of a different sort, right? So everywhere you have, you even have Confederate flags down there, but you definitely have a lot of like giant crosses and signs that say things like, you know, you know, like, you know, uh, Jesus is coming back, prepare to burn for your sins. Like, you know, you repent now. Like, you know, it, the people, the point is like people are so... People just can't put enough signs in their yards, enough things to signal this thing. And if you and if you walk around my neighborhood here, it's exactly the same thing. It's just that the signs say Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter, and things like that. But it's the same impulse, right? And that's just, you know, it, it is absolutely a secular religion. Of course. Of course it is. And getting back to what I was Al- saying although, earlier, Although, let why, me just interject that that yeah. could be insulting to religious people, <laughs> if anyone should be complaining, <laughs> because I don't think all religious people are so intolerant and simplistic, right? Oh, and not so at all. Only there's the fundamentalists. A, there's, yeah, it's a, maybe a kind of secular fundamentalism, um, but not necessarily a religion in general, because many religions are incredibly tolerant and humble. So it's almost in, it's almost, if anything, the guy comparing um, the uh, sort of anti-racist fundamentalism with religion is just insulting to some religious people. But that's not who got mad at him, I understand. (laughs) No, no. And even if they did, who cares, right? I mean, those people don't, they don't have a voice. They don't matter. It's been pretty clear that they're supposed to just shut up. Yeah. And no, of course, there's plenty of religious people who are, you know, deeply just, you know, honorable religious people who are just, you know, um, who are just trying to think sincerely about how to how to live a good life. And then there's people who are fundamentalists, you know, and I think that the point, though, is to me is that, you know, I think getting back to that question of like, why is this trans issue such why has it taken hold um, so strongly I mean, there is the question of like, why have all these girls decided they don't want to be girls anymore? And that's basically what most of the, you know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Why suddenly is like every, like one out of every three young people has, has, is trans now all of a sudden, you know, um, why is that going on? But another question for now is just like, why are all these non-trans people so obsessed with it? And why are all these white people so obsessed with anti-racism? Is it like just the new yoga like that poet said a while ago, uh, by him, uh, who was also black, by the way, so that's why anybody cares that he said it. Um, but it is, of course, it's the new yoga, and it's also the new religion, you know. And it's giving them the same. It is providing this this ecstasy, the ecstasy of like the ecstasy of religious deliverance to people who have been convinced that they don't need a god. That's mm. what it is to me, is people, this entire generation and, or two or three who have just been convinced, of course, that they don't need God and only a chump. I mean, the only thing worse than like a cis straight white man is like one who believes in God. Good Lord, you know? I mean, like how much of a chump can you be, right? We've all been convinced that like you don't need God and only a, a complete loser would, like it's like believing in Santa Claus. But guess what? We do. And so we just believe in a different kind of God. You know, we but we need something that is going to give us that same sense of deliverance. And you can see, like in um, Eleanor's, prof- uh, you know, my, her professor who we've talked about before, we'll call him Professor X, shall we? You know, <laughs> this guy, huge anti-racism guy, right? And his, I mean, you can hear it in his classes where he is like it's this fervor. He's almost foaming at the mouth. You can see he's almost like he's orgasming with the pleasure of submitting himself like abasing himself down to the idol of of 
of, of the anti-racism gods, you know, and just getting on his knees and like, please like whip me. You know, he like goes home and like just makes his wife like, like step on his balls and like call him a racist or something. You know? <laughs> he just wants to go, I know I'm a racist. I'm so bad. I know I'm a racist. No, there are those extremes like Professor X who literally, he, the same guy who did that, who did, <laughs> he did the story where he started breaking down crying. Um, they were like looking at that classic, this picture, a really disturbing old picture from a hundred years ago or something or whatever it was of like a bunch of white people. There's a black person that's been lynched hanging from a tree and there's a bunch of white people looking up, right? But anyway, they were talking about this. And so Professor X, he, he, he does that. He's a guy, he, he does this thing where he starts, he's telling this story and he literally starts crying when he's talking to the class. And I've seen this because she was taking our classes online. So he's doing this where he's, he says, you know, something like, you know, my, my great grandfather lived in this town and he probably, you know, I just, he probably knew some of these people. And I just have to contend with this, that my great grandfather probably knew some people who may or may not have been racist. And I carry that stain in my blood. (laughs) I mean, he's literally saying, I know that I care. I'm like, could you possibly state the anti-racism thing I mean, as a, as a religion, any, any clearer. He's basically saying, I know that I carry the original sin of this racism in my blood because I know people who probably knew people who may have known people who were racist in the past. And that, I can't, I cannot wash. He's like Lady Macbething it, you know. I can't get that stain out. And he literally starts crying. And then we watched, just for fun, just to test this theory out, we watched his class, uh, his, a different session, same class online, different session to the other class and he did the same thing another performance he cried again it's like tori amos like you know <laughs> like like doing like this really and everybody's like oh my god this is this is the one i mean this is a spontaneous moment can everybody repeat it and then <laughs> a couple of friends of mine did that and then like this was a long time ago obviously when i was like yeah like the one guy was like uh, this is we have seen the real in the moment this is spontaneity this is the real deal and the other guy's like yeah i don't think so i think and so they did a test and they went back and saw another performance some other time, and it was like exactly the same. All those spontaneous, wonderful, improvisational, like just these things that seem to be expressions of just intense emotional spontaneity were just performances. Of course they are, you know? Yeah. And that's what he's doing. He's performing, like, he's just performing like the ecstasy of giving himself over to, to confess and to be absolved. So this guy, getting back to the point here, you know, a little digression there, sorry, but, you know, this guy is an extreme. He's obsessed. He's a fundamentalist. But she has other professors who are not like that, and they try their damnedest to just teach Hamlet without it having to become all about this and that. But these students, more and more, I mean, the professors all have to be, they all live in a climate of fear where they have to be terrified, be very, very careful about what they say, and they have to give trigger warnings and do all these insane things. And basically, you have to assume, even when you get the professors who are just trying to teach a fucking class, the the students won't let it happen. That's what you see more and more and more. And Eleanor is always like, oh my God, this fucking, this girl that sits next to me, she just, every time, here it comes, here it comes. And that's how it is. There's always... The people, the bullies in the class that will make every topic will become about transphobia or misogyny or racism every time. It doesn't matter. There's nothing you can say. It's like it's like when somebody gets in a new relationship and they're in love and they won't stop talking about their new boyfriend or girlfriend <laughs> or whatever. And and you, you just go, say, talk about something they can't possibly bring bring back to Bill. And you go like, well, I was thinking about nuclear accelerator, particle accelerators the other day. And they're like, that reminds you of something Bill said the other day. And you're like, no. <laughs> 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 no one wants to hear it. <laughs>